Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Good morning. Today is the day. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing. We are glad in it. We are back to our regular program schedule. Uh, Thank you so very much for each and everyone who moved from passive listening to active participation in the last few days and supported us in our year-end winter share. Uh, We were a bit overwhelmed by your response, so thank you very much. And if you're listening to this today and you're saying to yourself, hey, I listen to the podcast, so I don't know what you're talking about because you guys don't post that kind of weird three days of programming as a podcast. Well, uh, let me just say that you can still give. You can still participate. You are still welcome. Uh, If you listen on the Faith Radio app, you can give right there. If you listen online at MyFaithRadio.com, you can donate right there. And you can always give us a call at 877-933-2484, or you can text the word GIVE to that same number, um, and we'll give you information on how to uh, on how to give and how to join us in this ministry financially here at year end. So just uh, a, a thank you, thank you, thank you to the many hundreds of people who uh, called in the last uh, just three days to let us know that you are with us, that you support us, and that you come that you came alongside us financially. It's really it's such a great encouragement. Uh, thank you so much. So we are on the thirteenth day of December. And it's the 13th day of Advent, 2019. So we are in the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Where in the Word are you today? I am in Luke 13. The chapter opens um, with Jesus, uh, well, Jesus teaching about um, sin and guilt and repentance. And um, I got to tell you, you know, I've read the Bible many times. And there are times that you read it and you say, wow, you know, this particular teaching jumps out at me this time around in ways that it did not jump out at me before. And it might be because I recently had a conversation or overheard a conversation, better said, about a person. uh, Well, I overheard two people talking, one person talking about something that somebody else had done. So, I mean, already these two people are gossiping about a third party. But they were talking about, you know, how awful and shameful uh, this behavior of this individual was and how much worse what they had done was then apparently how these two had participated in exactly the same thing. So these two were accomplices in whatever the uh, <clears throat> primary, um, I, I mean, I don't really know that it was a crime, but the, the primary um, sin, and yet they did not view what they had done as nearly as bad as what the uh, you know primary offender had done. Well, that is kind of what Jesus is addressing here at the outset of the chapter. Uh, there is this question about whether or not these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans, um, and worse sinners. And Jesus says, um, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you too will all perish. And then he uh, and then he basically asks a secondary question. You know, the people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, you think they were more guilty than everybody else who lives in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. Uh, Jesus is trying to say there, you know, guilt is guilt, sin is sin. Uh, and and although we we do sin in ways that hurt ourselves and others, 
um, in ways that are, you know, measurable here on earth. The reality is any offense against God is an offense against God. Sin is sin is sin. If it misses the mark, it misses the mark completely. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I mean, if you don't hit the target, which none of us can all the time, um, then then you're a sinner. You're in need of salvation. And God, by his grace, has sent Jesus Christ as the atoning sacrifice um, for your sin. And today's the day to take advantage of that. If you've been passing up on that offer um, all along, if you've been saying, you know what, I get it. Jesus came to die for like, you know, like those real sinners, those real bad guys. Uh, Jesus came to die for you. And so if you've never taken advantage, maybe that's the wrong way to say it. If you've never accepted that free gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ, today's the day. Like we sing uh, at the outset of every morning, you know, today's the day. Today's the day the Lord has made. Well, today is also the day of salvation for some people. If you are a person who says, well, you know, I'm, I'm obviously I'm listening to Christian radio. So, you know, I'm in. But you are not bowed before him. If he is not enthroned in your heart as Savior and Lord, if, he, if, if you don't acknowledge him as sovereign over your life, um, you know, if you, you, you eat with him, you drink with him, but you do not subordinate your will to his will, then later in this same chapter, um, he's basically saying, you know, um, uh, if you didn't come through the narrow door, you're not in. And once the door is closed, it's closed. Uh, this is a really divisive chapter uh, in the Gospel of Luke. And, and I just commend it to your reading and your study and your consideration today. The 13th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, uh, it is in this chapter that Jesus not only weeps over Jerusalem, and so I just would encourage you today to consider what are you weeping over in the world? You know, what breaks the heart of God? Uh, because those things that break the heart of God should break our hearts as well. So the 13th chapter of the Gospel according to Luke, I commend it to you today. Where in the word are you? Next up, Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. He and I have so much to talk about. Um, we're going to talk fast. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. My right, a right given by God to live a free life, to live in freedom. All right, joining me now, the rights writer that is Ben Johnson from the Acton Institute. Welcome back, my friend. Good morning, my friend. Good morning. Good morning. We have so much to cover. Okay, here's my here's my plan. I am going to uh, let you tell people what has happened in the British elections as a segue into a conversation um, about anti-Semitism as a segue into a conversation about the Jews. Excellent. (laughs) So go. So uh, the British had their general election yesterday, and it was a a marvelous landslide in terms of uh, the conservative party's win for Boris Johnson over Jeremy Corbyn. Uh, They ended up piling up a total of 347 seats, which is the largest majority they've had in more than 30 years. Uh, this is this is back dating back to the uh, days of Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Jeremy Corbyn, uh, to, to give everyone an idea, he is uh, the leader of the Labour Party, but he is a democratic socialist, and uh, he makes uh, he's so far to the left that he makes Bernie Sanders look like Bob Dole. Uh, Boris Johnson, on the other hand, very much in the uh, mold of a, a Donald Trump almost, although uh, a bit more amenable to the free market, and anti-Semitism became a major factor in uh, this overwhelming victory for Boris Johnson. 
So let's talk about that, because when um, when we talk about anti-Semitism, I think here in the United States, I'm like immediately our hearts and minds go to the kosher deli in in Jersey City. Um, And we also have just learned in the last couple of days that the president of the United States has signed an executive order in relationship to the use of terms on college campuses that are anti-Semitic, that uh, that demean the nation of Israel. And so when we're talking about Jews and Judaism and anti-Semitism in the culture today, um, just give us a sense of what you feel like is going on. Well, in terms of the uh, Jersey City shooting, this was an active religious fanaticism by a group called the Black Hebrew Israelites. Uh, Your listeners may remember that uh, this was the same group that uh, ended up accosting the students from Covington High School at the March for Life uh, before the uh, Native American activist ended up in Nicholas Salmon's face. They were being heckled by the black Hebrew Israelites. The black Hebrew Israelites believe that the black people are the authentic people of God, the true Israelites of the Bible, and that Jews are interlopers, that they have stolen that title, uh, and that, uh, in fact, the original uh, biblical uh, Israelites were black people. Uh, As a result of that, they believe that uh, the Jews are satanic. Anything they can do to attack Jewish people uh, is, is authorized. And so these two people walked into a kosher deli, uh, with a rifle, killed four Jewish people. They ended up dying themselves as well. Uh, what you're seeing, I think, here is uh, an intensification of the overall anti-religious trend that we have in the United States. Many people who have commented on this would, would just remind us that the Jewish people in their very existence are a reminder and a testimony to the existence that there is a God. Uh, the entire Jewish nation was formed by the hand of God in, in the book of Exodus, and they're leaving uh, the uh, nation of Egypt in order to go to the promised land multiple times over. Covenants were made that bound the Jewish people together as an entity, uh, drawing together diverse tribes from throughout uh, the region as descendants of Abraham and upholders of this covenant that had been revealed. So I, I think that when people look at Jewish people, uh, there are multiple different secular ideas that go into it that, that that uh, conflict with one another. Do people hate Jewish people because uh, they're the leader of the communist movement, or do they hate them because they're capitalists who are filthy rich? Uh, There are self-contradictory terms that go back and forth, but the bottom line is genuinely it is a revolt against the presence of God, which the nation of Israel signifies by their very being. Hmm. Okay, Ben, you and I have to take a very brief break. When we come back, um, can we talk about uh, the person of the year? I would be delighted. <laughs> okay, so let me just go ahead and tell you that yesterday I made a distinction between um, Time Magazine's recognition of a person of the year and the reality that as Christians there is always and only ever one person of the year. And every year the year belongs to the Lord. So as we draw uh, to a conclusion, the year of the Lord 2019, and we look forward together to the year of the Lord 2020, Uh, I just want to encourage everybody to have enthroned as the person of the year in your life and his concern and his agenda, Jesus Christ, even as, yes, we are going to turn our attention to Time Magazine's recognized person of the year. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. I will 
say, uh, Paul Perot, thank you so much for all of the wonderful Christmas music uh, that we're playing during the season of Advent. Oh, I love, love Christmas it. music. I know. I love it. Um, I don't need any uh, any of you to tweet me or text me um, or email me uh, that you don't want to hear Christmas music until Christmas Day. Um, we're going to play it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Ben Johnson is with me from the Acton Institute. He and I are uh, going to pivot here. Um, actually, it's only it's, it's actually only a slight pivot because what um, the British electorate rejected yesterday, in part, was a greater move towards socialism, and what they embraced and and want is a restoration not only of uh, of their own national identity distinct from the EU, but they also want a restoration of a free market economy and they want a restoration of opportunities for people to really flourish um, as opposed to those who would be pressing forward a more socialist and globalist agenda. And yet Time's person of the year is uh, both a socialist and a globalist, so-called climate change activist Greta Thunberg. We have talked with Ben Johnson before uh, about Greta. I'm just looking today for your sort of reaction and response to uh, her being named Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Well, I can think of many, many people who would be more uh, more deserving of this award. Certainly the Hong Kong protesters uh, who won mm. the poll when this was uh, put forward. These are people who are risking their lives for freedom. Uh, people have already been injured and, and, in fact, their lives are at risk. And if they weren't wearing masks, they would be killed. Uh, I would say that uh, this is the perfect triumph of aspiration over accomplishment. Uh, Greta Thunberg made speeches. She she sort of wagged her finger at the global audience uh, for not uh, not stepping up to her idea of what uh, the world should do. Uh, however, uh, when it comes to her actual carbon footprint, she sailed on a, a, a sailboat in order to come here, the Malaysia too. But then. Her uh, her crew had to fly back in order to take her home. So uh, it was the exact same uh, production of about two to three tons of carbon as if she had just taken the plane in the first place. Uh, On top of that, her her moralizing uh, tone is is uh, an issue in itself. But but she hasn't actually accomplished anything. And much of what she says is erroneous. Uh, But I think that these these awards are handed out generally uh, by people who uh, in in the magazine world are looking for a, a more sympathetic version of themselves, and so they're they're outraged they're they're just worked up that young people are taking a stand, and it happens to be a stand that's shared by the old people in the dinosaur media who are still publishing Dead Tree magazines. It's, it's impossible that this award would have gone to say Nicholas Sandman from uh, Covington High School, even though the pro life movement actually saves lives. So. Uh, people who are making these awards, uh, I think that they believe that all virtue lies in the mirror. And when they look at Greta Thunberg, they see their own political uh, aspirations writ large. She's an interesting, um, she's an interesting character. And and I certainly, I certainly think it feels to me as if uh, there are a lot of adults taking great advantage of a person who is acknowledged to have um, some very real challenges. And because she's a minor, it's hard for us to talk about some of those things publicly um, because we've, we've, you know, I am very sensitive to talking about the challenges that young people face um, in terms of their psychological and medical, you know, diagnoses. And, um, and particularly when it is related to um, any form of depression or or the existence of mental illness. And so, you know, I just, it feels to me as if there are adults 
who are very much taking advantage of a young person who has some identified challenges, and yet nobody seems to be uh, terribly concerned about that. I think you put your finger on it. Uh, Greta Thunberg is uh, sort of a convenient vehicle for an awful lot of people uh, because, in part, she's bulletproof. Uh, you know, she does have the challenges that you have issued that you've talked about that uh, might tend to make her cat- uh, uh, prone to catastrophic thinking. And uh, in order to continue that uh, that line, uh, she is she's taken a sort of an apocalyptic view of the world, which uh, if other people were to make it, people who are not quite so sympathetic, uh, it would be laughed out immediately, as it was, for example, in the case of uh, the Green New Deal or Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. But because you're dealing with a very uh, an even younger woman uh, who is who is incredibly sympathetic and, and courageous in her own way, no doubt about it, uh, you uh, you instead have someone who uh, cannot be criticized, and that lends a, a false patina of moral legitimacy to the cause that she is uh, advocating, which in fact uh, could prove deadly. Uh, many of the uh, fossil fuels that are being burned do things like keep hospitals going when uh, when generators uh, go on, so that uh, we have continual. Power. There was a, a powerful story in uh, Reason magazine just recently about a, a man whose father died in Caracas because of a, a series of shortages, including a shortage of power. Uh, and yet uh, the, the environmentalist movement is talking about replacing uh, fossil fuel and other sources of power that keep hospitals going without replacing that uh, with anything that's viable at this point. There's simply nothing to take that place. So uh, I think that we need to look at the underlying issue and not just the biography of the person who is promoting it, but always the underlying truth, which is Christians uh, we find in Jesus Christ and uh, doing our very best to find ways of being good stewards of the creation that he has given to us. All right, Ben, you and I have uh, a couple of minutes left. We could either tackle the um, the subject of Merriam-Webster's word of the year, which is they as a singular pronoun, or we could talk about Christian dooms- doomsayers or something else. You want to bring up a topic? It's a conversation, well, you know. I, you know. I, I would say the uh, both of them are, are worthwhile, certainly as everything that you uh, present is, and, and uh, I think that you've, you've found uh, that uh, there's a good listening audience in, in the terms of its response during this share but But uh, let, let's talk just momentarily, I guess, about the doomsayers. Uh, there was an article that was written uh, by Peter Weiner, who's a former uh, Bush advisor, evangelical Christian, sort of a moderate conservative, saying that Christians have lost it when we say that the uh, culture is declining. And uh, in fact, America is not slipping down in any moral sense whatsoever. The abortion rate is lower. Um, the, uh, the idea of teens having sex outside of marriage is lower. And so we should really just give it a rest. Uh, on the other hand, Rod Dreher of the American Conservative wrote that uh, it, it, there is some reason for us to be concerned. I think uh, what the key issue here is that uh, we're living in a world in which the UK, uh, a court in the UK has ruled that saying that God created mankind, male and female, in his own image is a violation of human dignity and can lose you your job. It's a fireable offense. That in itself tells me that uh, we are living at a time where we're profoundly hostile to truth, uh, whether it's in in a sexual sense, whether it's in a a sense of creation, uh, which ties into the they-them use of of that uh, phrase. But uh, it tells me that we are profoundly hostile to the notion that truth emanates anywhere other than my feelings and uh, my momentary shifting advantage from second to second. Uh, That's very dangerous for Christians who say that there is a truth, a logos, which orders the universe in his own 
uh, in his own way, and that all uh, all of our doing should be accorded uh, should be uh, judged in accordance with whether they are in harmony with that or whether they oppose that. Hmm. I learned so much uh, by talking with you. Thank you so much, Ben, as always, for joining us. Thank you for hopping over from Thursday to Friday so that we could still have a conversation with you this week. Have a most blessed weekend. Um, uh, worshiping this weekend with the with the people of God uh, in the season of Advent, I don't know about you, it's kind of a highlight for me. Always. Yeah, always. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless. You too. We'll be right back. So up next, I'm going to talk with Dr. Brett Nick uh, of the Christian Medical and Dental Association about the Christmas story warning. You'll shoot your eye out. Yeah, actually, we are going to talk about that and all of the risks related to Christmas gifts and Christmas activities. Um, And we just really want uh, people to sort of recognize that some of that stuff that we are um, putting together and wrapping up and giving is kind of dangerous. And so we want to talk about that. And then we also want to get a measles update. Um, And then I'm super interested in finding out why it's harder to be skinny today compared to the 1980s. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So for the last few days, we have been um, in our year-end share, winter share, and you all really just responded magnanimously. And so I just wanted to say thank you again. Uh, You not only have trusted God for, you know, financial blessings, you have entrusted those to us in order that this ministry might uh, be extended to more and more people, that the grace of God might be spoken into the lives of people who do not yet know that God loves them, that God is present, that God is real, uh, that God cares, that God has done what uh, they could not do for themselves. And so thank you uh, for your generous support. If you, um, if you are saying to yourself, wow, I didn't know that was going on and I missed it, you didn't miss it, uh, there's still an opportunity for you to become a part of the, uh, the support system here at Faith Radio. You can call or text the word GIVE to 877-933-2484. You can uh, go online to MyFaithRadio.com and hit the donate button. Or if you listen on the app, you'll see that right there on the Faith Radio app, there's a way to donate as well. So thank you so very much for everyone who responded in the last three days. And if you did not have the opportunity to do so, uh, you, you can still do it. So wait no longer. Now is the time. Today is the day. Give us a call or uh, or go online to MyFaithRadio.com. Did you know that you can teach your child some amazing stuff through your silence? In fact, you not only can, but you should. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Proverbs 17:28 says, Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. The next time your teen decides to open up, don't jump in too quickly to give your opinion. Instead, try keeping quiet and let her be the one to open the door. And don't freak out when your teen speaks without a filter. Let them talk. Sometimes they're just verbally processing what's happening in the world. You might have some masterful insights to share, but your teen has to be in the right mindset to receive it. Soon enough, she'll be ready to hear your pearls of wisdom. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Check out his latest resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org.
are listening to Mornings with Carmen. Uh, Dr. Brett Nick is back from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. He is an ER doctor. Uh, he is also uh, a person of faith and speaking into and supporting the lives of others in the medical community who are seeking uh, to live out vocationally um, their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's really, it's awesome. And I love what uh, you guys are doing at the Christian Medical and Dental Association. So welcome back, Dr. Nick. Thank you, Carmen. Good morning. Sounds like you're feeling you get, better as well. I, I, so I was going to actually start off by saying um, I'm 100% recovered in no small part because I followed um, your counsel. Well, I great. did exactly I the fact that it, number one, it worked. And number two is always it's one of those challenges uh, when you're doing it from a virtual perspective. I know. So I did exactly what you told me to do, um, which is unusual for me to follow instructions <clears throat> that well. So so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, OK, so we are. Um, uh, so this this comes from the Christmas story movie. I can and immediately when I say this, I see the kid in the pink bunny costume. Um, I also you know, I. I remember the desire for the BB gun, right? Okay, you'll shoot your eye out, right? So talk with us about eye safety and face safety during this time of year. I mean, you're an ER doctor. You see some stuff this time of year. You know, like Thanksgiving, you see, like, right, wounds to the hand because people are carving turkeys and they don't know how. But this time of year, you see, like, eye and face injuries at a higher, uh, you know, at a higher rate. Absolutely. It's amazing. Every season has uh, some unique nuances, especially when it comes to those who have to visit us in the emergency department. And as you stated, so many are familiar with the story, A Christmas Story, and the infamous Red Rider BB gun, and of course, the I'll shoot your, your, you'll shoot your eye out, Ralphie. Well, the Journal of Pediatrics last month took a look over the last several decades and looked at the various trends that come in time specifically related to eye and face safety. Think about BB guns, of course, airsoft rifles that have come out in the last decade, paintball that has been around for a while, and of course, the ongoing legacy of Nerf guns. These are all common gifts this time of year. So the study was interesting. The trends might not surprise you. The boys account for 87% of the injuries. And the types of injuries we're talking about are those directly to the eye where you cause an injury to the eye, an abrasion, sometimes even more severe where the, the globe, the eyeball itself ruptures. Uh, the common things that happen are just foreign bodies. Somebody gets hit with something and it goes under the skin or it causes an injury to the skin. But anytime it's associated with the face, more specifically the eyes, boy, those are really, really challenging. And, of course, these things are great fun. But, again, let's learn a le lesson from Ralphie. And we need to make sure that we advocate that if you're going to get your child one of these things, they have appropriate eye protection and face protection. Okay, so when you say appropriate – Right. You know, I, I can I just confess that uh, we have a lot of Nerf guns and that we now have, you know, three generations of people who like to play with them in the yard uh, on Christmas Day. Like it's a great runaround fun thing to do. Uh, but, you know, we've got everybody from, you know, two year olds to 60 year olds uh, and well, and a former Marine. So he's a whole lot better at it and a whole lot more accurate than the rest of us. Um, so just talk with us about uh, when you, you know, we talk about appropriate eyewear, that which is appropriate for me to wear in terms of protecting my eyes is going to be different than that which I am going to put on my two-year-old grandbaby. Absolutely. And you know, one of the greatest challenges is that each of these different devices come with their own specific requirements. When you're playing with a Nerf gun, if you're at a great distance, the amount of velocity that's going to come at you is, is fairly low. However, if you wear just simple safety glasses, the kind that you can pick up uh, very inexpensively, a dollar or two dollars at local stores, 
the clear type that you would wear if you're working in a shop or if you're you know, blowing leaves in your yard, the things that people do this time of year as well, something as simple as that is enough protection from a Nerf gun perspective. When you get into the higher velocity impact things like paintball and airsoft and specifically BBs, really what we're advocating for is not just something that has a glasses perspective, but really has a face shield. Uh, for those of us who've played these before, the last thing you want to do is to be hit in the face with one of those small pellets. They hurt tremendously, even you know paintballs themselves. And so when you have a face shield, that's something that really that protects your ears, protects across your face, and really protects across your eyes. And really, it is a full face shield. And again, from a cost perspective, they're very, very inexpensive when you compare it to the cost of having to go to the emergency department, or more specifically, if you have to have surgery because of an eye injury. Okay, so Dr. Brett Nick is uh, talking with us about Christmas safety. Um, it, it, is there any other, like when you think about what you are likely to see in the next three or four weeks in the emergency department, um, is there anything else that sort of leaps to mind that you are anticipating in advance you're going to see a lot of? With winter coming, of course, if you're in an area that you get snow and or ice, uh, of course, one of the amazing gifts is a new sled or some means <laughs> of enjoying Most of the people it. you're talking to right now, because I just left Minnesota yesterday, uh, <laughs> I can vouch for the fact that they are in the snow and ice season. So go ahead and speak boldly on this topic. Oh, my goodness. There's really two areas. When you're a child or an adult who still acts like a child, getting out and sledding and sliding is absolutely amazing. But again, if it's the first go round for the season or the first time where many are getting together, safety around that. Of course, if a road is not closed, having somebody who can flag to make sure there's not a vehicle coming as someone sliding down, uh, being aware of ledges. And if it's an area where you're sledding for the first time, making sure that you have, especially with kids, an adult that walks through the area to make sure that there's nothing sitting out that you don't see. For those that are in farming areas, we think about areas with barbed wire or different fencing that's electronic that you just may not see in a winter wonderland of things. And the last thing you want to do is to have a substantial or serious injury while you're out having that fun. The second one is for us adults, especially uh, when it is icy and slippery. Boy, I tell you, making sure that you have firm footing, the number of hip fractures and falls related to fractures that we see uh, because of this time of year is tremendous. And it increases as the snow and the uh, winter move forward. Uh, and again, these are the two most common things that we see. Uh, the lastly would be just awareness around temperature. When the temperatures drop, make sure that if you're traveling in your car that you have a process and a plan where people know where you're going, that you have things in your car should something happen uh, where your car breaks down or you go off the road or you have a means of contacting someone and a means of staying warm. Okay, so my family, we've all loaded this thing called Life360 onto our phones and you might, I mean, there might be, if you check it out, you might think it's a little bit stalkish, like, but it's, it's only family members that are on it. So you, you create your own little circle. I have to tell you, it gives me an extraordinary level of comfort knowing that when my 81-year-old mom and my 87-year-old dad are driving around, I can see exactly where they are. And I know if they're stopped on the side of the interstate, like I can see it on my phone. Um, and so... Uh, I just encourage people to use technology. Let technology be your friend in terms of these kinds of things that we're talking about. Um, there are ways to keep ourselves safe, and, and having a plan is a huge part of it. Uh, so, yes, I have uh, a cozy blanket in my car. I, I just I love it. Uh, so, all right, you and I have to take a quick break. When we come back, will you give us an update on measles? That sounds great. Be happy to. Yeah, we haven't talked, we haven't talked about it in a while. So Dr. Brett Nick is here from the Christian Medical and Dental Association. When we come back, we're going to get an update on what's going on with measles. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. 
Continuing my conversation with Dr. Brett Nick from the Christian Medical and Dental Association, uh, I want you guys to to check out what they are doing. If you are a healthcare professional, you can go to cmda.org. All kinds of wonderful resources there for you and and real support, real support for you um, as Christians working in a vocation that is increasingly a a challenging venue uh, for people of faith. So, so check that out. So, um, so Brett, let's talk about measles. We, we visited this subject a while ago. Give us an update. Yeah. So, you know, 2019 has been an interesting year here in the U.S. and really around the world. The trends in the U.S., this is the highest year in the last two decades where we have had uh, the frequency of measles. At this point, as of uh, this morning's CDC report, 1,276 cases. Uh, And 75% of those actually are associated with some outbreaks that occurred in New York in areas that had under-immunized kids. But let's give this a perspective. The WHO, the World Health Organization, reports about 10 million cases per year. And of those, 140,000 deaths worldwide for what we know is a preventable disease. And you may have seen in the news recently in Samoa, on the Pacific Islands, they have an outbreak ongoing right now of more than 4,300 people being infected. Schools are closed indefinitely, and they have a door-to-door campaign. Uh, And the good news there is they have moved up to 82% of children under the age of five now being vaccinated. There's a huge outbreak in Cameroon uh, that more than 3,000 people are currently infected and a larger number than that. And so it's very interesting. This is a highly contagious and potentially fatal infection that can spread like wildfire. It is known that it is so contagious that if one person has it, up to nine out of 10 around them will become infected if they're not protected. So I'm also reading this morning, um, I know it's not on a headline that you and I talked about because I didn't see it until today, um, but the, the vaping deaths or a death attributed to vaping in the United States has now exceeded 50. Uh, That's the vaping, Yeah. And so um, let's just remind people, I'm, I, I'm, I am aware that, you know, as kids come home from college, um, parents and grandparents might become aware that their students are now vaping and students may not know the risks of that. Um, can we just pause and and be sure that folks are reminded just how dangerous this is um, so that we can be of encouragement to young people who might have picked up va- vaping in uh, in this last semester and we want to intervene when they come home? That's a great recommendation. This time of year, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, we have opportunities to interact with family and friends. Uh, and of course, one of the things that's most important to us is to recognize the value of each of these individuals. When we have someone that comes and they, they, you see that they have a new trend or a new habit and vaping being that, it's an opportunity for us to sit down and have a conversation with them. Just understand what they think about it, what they understand about it, and gain as much knowledge from them about the vaping process. And from that, take the information that we know to be true, which is vaping is inhaling toxic chemicals to your body that yes, there is nicotine or there is THC from marijuana. There are different types of chemicals in it. But there's so many things between the agent that delivers it to it, to the propellants, to the binding chemicals that are all causing these episodes that we see, the vaping-related lung injury and the associated deaths. And it's such an important thing to sit down and have that conversation with them to let them know not only do you care, but there's reasons behind it that really should support you coming alongside them to help them stop. So I talked with um, a grandmother this last week who uh, at Thanksgiving, I'm going to tell you, she did something that was uh, that was pretty radical. 
um, I, I took it as pretty radical. She um, she recognized on Thanksgiving that her grandson, um, you know, had started vaping, and she did not want to confront it directly. She just asked him if after, uh, uh, like, at one point in time, he was, like, going to go outside. And, you know, she knew he was going to go outside to vape. And she's like, hey, why don't you come with me to the garage instead? And he's like, well, no, Grandma, I really need to go outside. And she's like, no, I'm, I got something in the garage you might be interested in. She goes into the garage, and she pulls out, like, a thing of turpentine, and she pulls out. I mean, she's pulling these chemicals, like, out from And she opens them up, and she's like, she gets, she gets a towel. She's going to put it over her head, and she's like, I'm going to huff these while you vape that. And he was horrified. Grandma, you can't do that. You can't be taking that into your lungs. And she's like, that's exactly what you are doing, but you are heating it up. You are concentrating it, and you don't even know what it is. And it got them, it, 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 it was like this, like, shock therapy, I think, um, because he suddenly realized there's no way he wants his grandma sucking chemicals into her lungs. Um, and, and, and likewise, she doesn't want him doing it either. So I just think there are some... I don't know if you're going to recommend that, but, you know, I can rec- I'm a radio host. I'm not a doctor. So I can uh, I can recommend such uh, crazy approaches. Let's um tell us why it's harder to be skinny today than it was in the 1980s. Well, that's a great question. Uh, I think most people will sit here and say, hmm, I thought is this a setup? Is this a soft pitch? What's going on here? But <laughs> is I mean, Carmen looking this. for an excuse? No, there we go. No. Yeah, there, you know. Think back to the 80s, right? We all laugh. We think about the sweat into the oldies with Richard Simmons and everybody out there in their crazy 1980s attire. Well, it's interesting. There was a study that came out sometime back that looked at dietary and activity levels from 1971 through the early 2000s. And so it doesn't really account for this most recent decade, but it's really interesting. What they said was simply this. They said, given the same person in 2006 as somebody back in the 80s, eating the same amount of calories, exercising the same amount. They looked at it statistically and said that that person would have a BMI two to two and a half times higher than they would back then. And people, the question I had when I read the article was, well, why would that be true? If I'm eating the same and I'm exercising the same, what else is there? And at this time, the answers are hypothesis at best. And what the authors are exploring at this point in time are a couple of different things. And I think they all make sense to some degree. The first is we have had a tremendous change in the amount of chemical exposures both in our environment and in the foods and things that we eat in that time window. And they believe that there may be some chemicals in that space that have affected how our body navigates weight management. Another one, which we have talked about before, are the common medications that did not exist back then. And the most common one that they cited was the antidepressants. And a very common side effect with antidepressant medications is weight gain. written in the prescriptions. You see that in there. And the frequency by which these medications are given are exponentially greater than what we saw back then. Another one they suggest could be related to those items as well, which is that because of these chemicals, because of the exposures, because of longstanding issues with antibiotics and other types of medications, that the, the microbes, the things that live in our gut that help us to digest food that are a natural process of what we are, may have changed. And with them, the digestive processes change as well. And so when you look at this, the question is, okay, so is it true? Is it an excuse? Do we really know? I don't think that we know the answer, but what we do know is simply this. Regardless of whether it's a holiday season or any season around us, our job is to be healthy and to to respect the temple that God has given to us. Regarding about how much we eat and what we do, remaining active and being appropriate with our exercise, with our sleep, and really with our time and reflection. 
especially at Christmas time, as it's fast approaching, that is really probably the best answer at this point. I'm glad you mentioned uh, sleep as a part of that. Uh, uh, Eliana, who's a junior in high school, she just that was the uh, the study that she chose to do for her um, her her second quarter. Uh, project and presentation. And so she's been researching the relationship uh, between screens and sleep and the need for teenagers to uh, be changing their patterns of behavior because of how detrimental it is to them that they're not getting, you know, the right kind of sleep and the right measure. So anyway, I just uh, sleep is a, a huge, a huge conversation at our house right now. I love that you brought it up as well. Um, thank you. It's just a delight to talk with you, um, just to be able to have real conversations with a real doctor who is Um, out there on the forefront of what's going on uh, and a brother in Christ as well. So thank you so much. Well, Carmen, thank you so much. And uh, Merry Christmas to you and everyone on the line. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you as well. You guys need to check out what they're doing, the Christian Medical and Dental Association, cmda.org. We'll be right back. Hey, Paul Perot and I are um, are just wondering, do you have a blue Christmas service at your um, at your church? If you do, could you text us at 877-933-2484? We're looking for um, we're just looking for some information about that. So if you have a blue Christmas service of some kind at your church, text me at 877-933-2484. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. uh, You can always visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.